Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. Stand with me, if you will, and go to the book of Matthew, chapter number 28, verse number 19. As you're going there, we do have some prayer requests that we want to, to make. Brother uh, James Smith had a kidney removed this week, and uh, he's in a lot of pain. He just came home from the hospital, uh, but, but needs the Lord to touch him. He's in a lot of pain. Also, uh, Brother Beanie. Uh, Brother Beanie Davis is in the hospital. They tell me he's had a heart attack and uh, is not doing well at all. And so we need to pray for him. Also, my wife's first cousin uh, used to be used to be in the church, has not been in church for several decades, um, has been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, and they're not going to do anything but try their best to make him comfortable. And so uh, pray for him. His name is Chad. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you because you hear and answer prayer. I thank you because you hear us always when we pray. God, I pray for Brother James Smith. God, I rebuke the pain, and I pray for healing in his body. I pray for Brother Beanie, God, for your mercy and grace upon him. God, for healing virtue. Lord, I pray for Chad, for you to touch him. God, I pray you to touch his soul more than anything else, Lord. I ask you to move for him in his spirit, Lord. God, I pray that you would move tonight in our Bible study, move in our grow classes, our children's juniors and youth classes. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, have your way. And everybody said amen. 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 The book of Matthew, chapter number 28 and verse number 19. If you found it, say amen. amen. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. I started a Bible study last week about the mission of this particular church. Amen. I, I am not responsible for every church, but I am responsible for this church. And one of the most important things that we will do is understand why we are here. What is the purpose that this church is here? And so we talked a lot last week. We didn't do a lot of um, scriptural exegesis as much as we did a lot of concepts and philosophy, uh, a lot of quotes from, from various writers. And, uh, and, and, but today I want to get a little bit more down into uh, what the Word of the Lord says. And uh, what we read to you, Matthew 28 19, is Matthew's version of what is known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the sending or the, the, the mission that God committed to the hands of the church. The uh, original Greek word for the word teach is to make disciples. And so the mission of the church, the great commission of the church is to go and make disciples of all nations. Um, it's interesting that it doesn't, it doesn't say, it doesn't say just to go get people baptized. We understand that baptism is part of it. It doesn't just say go and get people to talk in tongues, and we know that being baptized with the Holy Ghost is part of it. But the mission of the church is not simply to, uh, to have people have a conversion experience. The mission of the church is to turn converts into disciples, to help people to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord, and so we talked last week, we talked about the difference between theology and mission, where theology is head knowledge, but mission is an important assignment that includes, it requires doing something. And so we are not on mission if we're not doing something. 
if the extent of my walk with God is coming in here uh, once or twice, maybe three times a week and singing songs, clapping my hands, turn around and walking out and not doing anything for the remainder of the week, then I'm not on mission. Amen. I'm not on mission. And so the, uh, the, the, the verbs of the Great Commission, we talked about this just a little bit last week, but, uh, but it says, go teach and baptize. Go teach and baptize. And so it requires action. We have a job to do. And so the Bible said, go ye therefore. And we closed last week. We closed last week with, uh, with the question, when you, and the, or rather the statement, that when you see the word therefore, what are we supposed to do? See what it's there for. And so when he says, go ye therefore, what he's saying is because of something already presented, then we go. Um, when I tell my, my girls, uh, clean your room, and, uh, and, and if I tell them that, that your room needs to be cleaned or you're going to be in trouble, therefore, clean your room. The reason to clean your room is so you don't get in trouble, right? That's the therefore part. So he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. But, but what is the therefore referring to? So we're going to go up one verse to Matthew 28 and 18 where it says, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power, that means jurisdiction or authority. All authority, all jurisdiction, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus was making a declarative statement that he was Indeed, he held all power and all authority spiritually. He wasn't second to anybody. That's a good place to say amen for that oneness apostolic Pentecostal. Jesus isn't second to anybody. He has all power, not, not secondary power, not a third of the power, but all power in heaven and earth was given to him. And he said, because I have all power, now go ye therefore and disciple all nations. God's power was not given to the church for our own pleasure and enjoyment. It wasn't given to us for our own self-indulgence. It wasn't just given to us so we can have awesome services and healings and miracles. But he said, I've got all power. And because I have all power, I want you to go disciple the nations. Because the nations, the lost people, need to know about the power of God. And so the commission to the church is to carry the power of God to a lost and dying world. Because he's all-powerful, we go and we disciple the nations and tell them about him. Because he's got the power to change their lives. He's got the power to heal their bodies. He's got the power to save their souls. And he said, therefore, go to all the nations. The Greek word for nations here is the word ethos. It's where we get the word ethnic or ethnicity. It means every race, tribe. And what he's saying, especially to the Jews who thought that they were the only ones that could be saved. We find this problem in the early church in Acts when, when the, the, they, they carry out ministry to the Jewish widows but not to the others because they have this idea of superiority. And so this idea that is ingrained in them 
So he says, go and teach all nations. Our job is to reach everybody we can with the power of the gospel. Amen. The church is charged with the responsibility for reaching everyone, everywhere, in every way possible. Amen. That's why we are committed to world missions. That's why we are committed to world missions, because our responsibility is reaching everyone, everywhere, in every way possible. We are committed to Missions America, planning churches. Um, our, our daughter work that we started six years ago in Starkville is doing fantastic. They just bought six acres of land. They're getting ready to build a building. Praise God for that. Amen. Amen. That, that church is a unique situation. I knew that God had spoken to me about that. And within nine months, that church has paid every single bill by themselves. It's almost unheard of for a home missions church to be able to do that. Within, after nine months, one time after that, one time in the summer, when you know how summer crowds are, uh, hopefully we're going to break that trend. But, uh, but one, one month in the summer, I had to help them on their rent. But other than that, and, and they bought this 18 acres. They bought it by themselves. They're getting ready to build by themselves. God is blessing them. Amen. And I'm thankful that, that you all have a heart to help. We're planning churches because that's our responsibility is to reach people. I'm thankful to be partnered with Brother Perfecto Martinez. And if any of you want to help him in his ministry, you can give it. Mark it on the envelope for Brother Perfecto. That is our Hispanic work in Bahalia that God is using him. He doesn't ask for anything. He's never one time asked for an offering. He's never one time asked for anything, but that we pray for him. And, and sometimes he uses some of our ministers. He's doing a great work and we partner with him because our job is to reach everyone everywhere in every way possible. We have that commission. Can you say praise the Lord? And so the word commission means instruction or command. It is a duty given to a person or a group of people. The scripture is clear that the church has a great command or a great commission. We have a duty to reach our world with the gospel. In light of the great commission, our responsibility, who are we, the church? Who is the church from a missional perspective in the world today. Matthew chapter number five and verse number 13, the Bible says you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. This is a powerful scripture because it gives us both a responsibility and a consequence. He said, you're the salt of the earth. The church has been planted in this world to be the salt of the earth. And then he says, if the salt loses its savor, if the church, if the salt loses its ability to change its environment, if the world, if the church loses its ability to impact and change the flavor of something. He said, then it's good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. The church has a responsibility to be a change agent in our communities. Praise the Lord. 
Amen. This is the very basics of why we're here. This is the very basics of why you're here. You are the salt of the earth. If you lose your savor, then the Bible said the salt is good for nothing, has no value. A church that does not impact its world has no value. Amen. We can, we can turn the walls. Uh, you know, preacher always says the four walls, and then you come here and you have to say the eight because we got twice as many walls as others. But we can sit inside the walls of this church and sing to ourselves and preach to ourselves and pat ourselves on the back. But if we do that, the Bible said we've lost our savor and we're good for nothing. There is a temptation to want to turn our churches into fortresses for the insiders. Amen. I read a statistic that a new church plant within 18 months comes inward focused. That within 18 months, even a new church becomes inward focused. It becomes about the people who are already in. I wonder how much of a battle we have at 75 years to make sure that we're still outward focused and others focused and reaching people focused. What I'm preaching right now is the very fundamental rock of the mission of the church, that we are sent into the world to be on mission for God. And we are the salt of the earth. And if we don't fulfill the mission that God has for us, the Bible said the salt is good for nothing. Not good for something, not good for a few things, not good for a little bit, but good for nothing. If we only become about the people already in, we're good for nothing to God. I didn't expect a whole lot of amens there, but what I'm preaching is the word of God. Don't tell me you're a preacher and never try to win a soul. Amen. You don't deserve a pulpit if you can't, aren't trying to find somebody to win for God. And that's not for preachers only. It is thenceforth good for nothing. Now don't go and say, man, my pastor hurt my feelings because what I'm reading is my pastor's words. Jesus said. But to be cast out. He emphasized the obligations necessary to be a disciple. And he warned that it's our responsibility to spread the influence of the Lord throughout the world. C.H. Dodds said, quote, if they fail to do so, they have missed the end of life and will be utterly rejected by God, end quote. Salt is a, salt is a recurring theme in the scripture. Leviticus 2, 13, and every ablation, this, an ablation is an offering given to God. Every ablation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. Now, the, the, the King James Version uses the word meat here, but the word meat in, in King James doesn't mean what meat means to me. When I say I'm a meat eater, I'm talking about, about beef. I read where some, some online uh, recipe uh, company has decided to take beef off their, they're not going to have any beef recipes on their website. That's okay. I didn't like your website anyway. Um, it's, I guess, uh, environmental or whatever. People are stupid if they think, I, I said the S word, that's twice in a month I've said that in the pulpit. People are not real smart 
if they think that, that they can undo what God plans to do. Anyway, I apologize, sort of, but not, not with my heart. My words are there, but my heart is far from me. But the meat here, meat actually means grain. And so he said, every oblation of thy grain offering. When the Bible's talking about, about uh, what we think of meat, it calls it flesh. And so every oblation of thy meat offering, he says, you have to season it with salt. Don't bring me a, an offering from your field and it not be seasoned with salt. Even though it's going to go on the altar, don't, don't bring it without salt. He said, you, you can't, thou shalt not suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from any meat offering. He said, he said don't, allow, don't allow yourself to bring an offering to me without salt. If you're going to bring it to me, put salt on it. With all thine offerings, thou shalt offer salt. So God says, don't, don't bring me an offering without salt. Numbers 18 and 18, and the flesh of them, now we're on flesh, not, not grain, but flesh. And the flesh of them shall be thine as the, way, as, as the wave breast and as the right shoulder are thine. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord have I given thee and thy sons and thy daughters with thee by a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and to thy seed with thee. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel." The tribe of Levi had no land. If you look, all the tribes had land given to them, but the tribe of Levi had no land. They had no place to raise cattle. They had no place to raise crops. And so God had determined that since they had no land to raise cattle, that their portion of the sacrifice brought to the house of the Lord would go to the priests. The covenant then was sealed with salt. He said when they bring flesh, he said, he said the, the wave breast and the right shoulder belong to the priesthood, and it's a covenant of salt. The salt both flavored the flesh and preserved it. It was part of the covenant. It was part of the sacrifice. Don't bring a sacrifice without salt. Second Chronicles 13 and 5, ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt. Here, the salt covenant was for the kingship of David. God's agreement with David was sealed with the covenant of salt. In this sense, there was no kingdom without salt. So just to do a quick, and, and, and look, this is a whole series of Bible studies you can do just on the covenant of salt. And I'm, I'm trying my best not to. But, but the salt signified that the grain was for the Lord. The salt signified that the sacrifice was for the kingdom. And then the salt signified that David was to sit over the kingdom. Jesus, the root and the offspring of David. There's a lot of symbolism there. And so then you look and they understand that everything that's given to the kingdom as a sacrifice requires salt. And so coming full circle, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you are the salt of the earth. They understand 
that every sacrifice given to God has to have salt. Whether grain, flesh, or kingdom, it's a salt covenant. And then Jesus looks at them and he says, you're the salt. You are the sacrifice that I'm sending to this world. You're the salt of the earth. The earth is my inheritance and you are the salt. In other words, I'm making a covenant with you. That it's you are responsible for the offering of this world. The mingling of salt was a, the, the, the mention of salt was an understanding to the disciples that they were the sacrifice to the world. May I tell you that the church is God's sacrifice to the world. First recorded in Matthew 4 and 17, the Bible says that from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means to turn around, reconsider, rethink. Why repent? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That phrase at hand means it's close. It's right there. You can touch it. When something is at hand, it means it's, it's close enough that you can touch it. It's not so far away that, that you have to look into the distance. But when something is at hand, it's right there by you. He said, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is close to you. Repent. Get right because there's work to be done in the kingdom. Let's go to the next verse, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So putting these three verses together, he said, repent. Repent. But just the matter of repentance is not enough. When you repent, it's followed by work to do. Believing's not enough. Accepting the Lord as your personal Savior is not enough. There is a call to discipleship that follows repentance. He said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he said, follow me. It's not enough to just repent. You have to follow him. Amen. I'm thankful for everybody that repents. I'm thankful for everybody that gets baptized. I'm thankful for everyone that gets filled with the Holy Ghost. But I'm most thankful when they follow him. Amen. I'm most thankful when they follow him. One of the, 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 uh, the, the transformation in our, in our church uh, culture is from the mentality that we have a job to do and that's make disciples. And so it's not enough just to get them in a church service and get them to talk in tongues. We've got to help them to grow in faith. That's what First Steps is about. That's what Connect Groups are about. That's what Grow Class is about. That's what life groups are about. All of that is a discipleship system put in place to help people to grow along their journey. Jesus said, repent, but then he said, if you'll follow me, I will make you to become fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The call to discipleship, the call to follow him follows our repentance, our conversion. Can I, can I be so bold as to say that if all you have in your history is a conversion experience, 
that you're missing the mark of what God has for your life. God wants us to follow him. He wants us to become disciples. He wants us to walk in his footsteps. Follow him means to follow him as he walks. Go where he goes. Do what he does. Be to the world what he is to us. Follow me. If you'll, don't, don't just repent, but repent and follow me. Don't just have a experience 20 years ago in a baptistry and that be the end of your spiritual growth. I get worried when I see people come to church week after week and month after month and they never progress. They're in the same place they were six months ago or six years ago. And I get worried when I see people get to a certain point in their growth, maybe after, even after years, and then they stop and they never progress anymore. And from that point, they become static. They just sit on a pew for the rest of their life and never do anything for the church or for the kingdom or for God. And they become nothing but consumers of his presence, but they don't give back anything in terms of service and servanthood. But Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. And then two verses later, he says, follow me. It's not enough just to be born again. We have to follow him. And then what does following him cause in our life? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I submit to you that the follower of Christ has a concern for lost people. You cannot follow in the footsteps of Christ and not be concerned about lost people. It's the mission of the church, folks. It's the mission of God's people. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You could say that people that don't fish don't follow because followers fish. Can I go a step or two further? I got one amen. That's, that's, that's all I needed. <laughs> amen. I, I, I'm, not like, I'm not like modern day politicians. I don't have to have a majority. I just do, just all I needed was one. So let's go to the next chapter, Matthew 5 and 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You are the light of the world. Our job is to walk into darkness and illuminate it. Our job is to walk into the darkness of people's lives and bring the light of Christ to them. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. The church is the light and the church is a city. Let's go to the next verse. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to light a candle then cover up the candle. Why light the candle? You know, why light a candle and then cover it up? Would anybody, would anybody turn on a lamp and then put a barrel over it so you can't see the lamp? Why not? The purpose of the lamp is to shine light. So why would you turn on the light and then defeat its purpose by covering it up. Why would Jesus tell us that we're the light of the world and then expect us not to shine, to hide it? 
a city set on a hill that can't be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We're salt, we're light, we're a city. John 15 and 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. He says, I'm the vine, but you're the branches. And he expects us to bring forth fruit. So we are salt, light, a city, branches, fishers. Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now are ye the body of Christ and members in particular. I'm talking about who we are, the church, the mission of the church. 2 Corinthians 3 and 2, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. We are the letter of God to the world. Our life is to be read. Paul told the church, you are the letter sent to the world, known and read of all men. 2 Corinthians 5 and 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. We have a job to do is what I'm getting at. We have a mission in this world. My mission is not, my mission is not only for me to be saved. My mission is not only for me to be born again. My mission is to be an epistle, an ambassador, a city, a witness, light, a branch and salt. Nowhere in any of that does it say, enjoy the rest of your life being saved and just sit there and do nothing. It's the mission of the church, folks. I'm preaching a lot of responsibility tonight and last week, aren't I? But this, my friends, is our job. And the reason the world is in the condition it is is because Christianity for decades has abdicated our responsibility. Genesis 1, 27 and 28, so God created man in his own image and in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. That'd be a great verse for every politician and school student and professor and college student have to learn that. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. And replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. The very first thing that God ever told man, be fruitful and multiply. Don't just be satisfied with just you two and nobody else. Be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 8, 15, and God spake unto Noah, saying, go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both the fowl and cattle, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. Genesis 8 and 20, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings unto the Lord. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more 
everything living as I have done. And then you turn the next verse, Genesis 9 and 1, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Noah 9, 7 through 9. And you, be ye fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, I, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. What was the covenant? What was he talking to them about? Over and over and over, God says, be fruitful and multiply. God connects fruitfulness to covenant. Praise God. Amen. The covenant that would be renewed in Abraham, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The covenant that would be renewed in Christ, that through his spirit, all the families of the earth would be blessed. It is the calling of the church to multiply. Praise God. I said it's the calling of the church to multiply. And if it's the calling of the church, then it's the calling of the people in the church. John 5 and 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. John 15 and 8, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit so shall ye be my disciples. He said, you want to know how the Father gets glory? Well, it's when you clap your hands real loud. How, how, you don't want to know how my Father gets glory? It's when you raise your hands in the air like you just don't care. How does my Father get glory? He gets glory when we bear fruit. And so shall you be my disciples. You can't be fruitless and be a disciple. Praise God. I'm preaching the Bible to us. You cannot be fruitless and be a disciple at the same time. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. The mark of discipleship is bearing fruit. John 15 and 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Well, we like that, don't we? Don't we like that? We like to, we like to keep track of what the world's population is. I remember when we were preaching there that, that there's, there's five billion people in the world and God chose you. And then we had to change it. There's six billion people in the world and God chose you. And then we had to change it to there's seven billion people in the world and God chose you. And we're getting ready to change it some more. And we like that idea of being chosen, being special, being handpicked by God. But the question is not, are we chosen by God and are we handpicked by God? The question is, why? Why are you here? Why are you here and not somebody else? Why have you been exposed to the Holy Ghost and there's millions out there that is not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost? Why have you been baptized in Jesus' name and there's billions of people that never have? Why are you here and not somebody else? 
Why did God choose your family to be able to hear the gospel? Why did God choose your family to be able to hear about his mercy and his grace and his love and his kindness and the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven and peace that passes understanding and joy unspeakable and full of glory and miracles, signs and wonders and healing and grace and power. Why you? You ever wonder that? Why me, God? Or are we just, are, are we just so, so, so proud and haughty that we think we deserve it? I'm so much better than all those people out there that, God, you're lucky to have me. Look, God, I showed up on Wednesday. You are so lucky, God. You're such a lucky God because here I am in all my glory. God, if you're lucky Sunday, I'll be back. And if you're really lucky, I'll clap my hands when I get here. Is that, is that, what, is that how we feel? So then why did he choose us? Brother Brad, why did he choose you out of all the people that you ran around with when you were a teenager in the world and all the people that you knew that were into the same stuff you were, why did he choose you? Brother Tucker, why did God let you be born to a family that would be apostolic? Why, why you? Sister Gabby, why you? Of all the people, it says, she's, She's preaching my sermon. She said, it says it right there. <laughs> it does. That's why it's there. You didn't choose me. I chose you and ordained you. Why, God? That you should go and bring forth fruit. If you are not fruitful, you're not fulfilling the purpose God saved you for that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. We like to bargain with God. God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. God, if you, it, you whatever I ask, it, if you'll give me this blessing, I'll tell everybody about you. And God says, you ought to tell everybody about me no matter what I do, because that's your purpose. That's your ordained purpose. That's the reason that I let you hear this gospel and not somebody else. That's why you're here is because God. Now you say, well, I can't do anything for God. Well, if you can't do anything for God, then God didn't know what he was doing when he brought you in the church. And if you're willing to say that to God, then you do that. But don't let me be close to you when you do. Amen. To say I can't do anything for God is to say that God doesn't know. And that God's not a wise chooser. You didn't choose me, I chose you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Matthew 25, 14 and 15, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. He gave to every man according to his several ability. God doesn't expect you to do what you're not able to do. God expects you to do what you are able to do. He took his journey. Not everyone's judged the same way. He gives according to ability. Matthew 25 and 16, next verse. Then he 
that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he, had, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged a hole in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. What are we talking about here? Verse 14 said, for the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about how God operates, okay? We're not talking about how, this isn't just a story about a guy that had some servants. This isn't just a story about a guy that owned property. This is about the kingdom. This is how God operates. This is how God expects his spiritual economy to function and flow and operate. And so after a long time, the Lord of those servants comes and reckons with them in verse number 30, and he cast and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He cast him into outer darkness, not because he lost the talent he had, but because he didn't do anything with it. And when he asked the servant, he asked the servant that only had one talent that buried, he said, why'd you do that? He said, well, I knew you were a hard man that you gather where you don't sow. He said, I, I knew, I know how you are, and I know you don't like losing stuff. But if you know how he is, then you also know he doesn't like just staying where you are all the time. And so the unprofitable servant, not, not the servant that lost, not, not the servant that lost, the servant that just didn't make a profit, the servant that was in the same place when the master came back that he was when the master found him. Doing a lot of hard preaching tonight. I hope you're doing some hard listening. He gives somebody, I don't know where this, there's a dollar and 10 cents up here. If you're a dollar and 10 cents short, thank you for the offering. I don't know how it got here, but it's here. But he gives, he, gives, he gives it to the servant, and then he leaves. And then he comes back a long time later, and it's still there. It's, in, it's, it's the same as it was when he gave it to him. No change, no growth, no progress, no nothing. Exactly where it was when he left a long time ago. And he says, that is not the way the kingdom of God operates. Everything I give to my servants, it's not an endowment, it's an investment. It's not a gift, it's an investment. And when I invest, I expect a return on my investment. And this guy had five and he got five more. And this guy got two and got two more. And you're exactly where you were the last time I talked to you. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. I'm telling you, the Bible says this is how the kingdom of heaven is. Right? And so if this is how the kingdom of heaven is, then God doesn't expect me to be the same exact thing I was five years ago today. He expects growth and development. Everybody in this place ought to be finding and thinking of some way 
I can do something for God. Some way I can be fruitful. Maybe it's joining the greeting team and shaking hands when they come in. Maybe it's being on the usher team. Maybe it's being on the media team. Maybe it's being a Bible study teacher. But I'd be trying my best to find something that I could do in the kingdom of God because my God requires profit, fruitfulness. The mark of discipleship is fruitfulness. Praise God. Oh, why don't you lift your hands to heaven? Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, I'm talking about the mission of the church. We've got a job to do, folks. It's not time to quit and slow down. We're racing the rapture. Oh, come on, we got a job to do. There's people to reach. There's stuff to do. There's, there's things to do. I, had staff, I have staff meeting. Every Tuesday morning, I have staff meeting. We sit, and, not, and, and most of our staff meeting, we just keep taking on more jobs. The people that are doing are doing more and more and more because we got more to do. We don't need people that are doing to do more. We need more people doing. We need to get involved and get busy and be about our Father's business. Because when I stand before God and I say, okay, God, you gave me the Holy Ghost, and here I am. And he says, where's your fruit? Well, I buried it. I buried it in my hobbies, and I buried it in my passions, and I buried it in my pleasures. I buried it in my things I like in my sports and I buried it in my in my activities and I buried it in all the stuff I like to do and I buried it but but don't worry God here I am. Here's the talent you gave. I'm just giving myself back to you and he says cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God, I want to do something for you. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be famous. It's just got to be something. I got to find some way, God, to be profitable in your kingdom. I cannot simply be a, a tender, a pew sitter. I got to find a way to be profitable. I got to find a way to be a fisher, to be salt, to be light, to be a city, to be a branch. To be an ambassador, I gotta find a way. I gotta find a way to do something, God, because there's a mission to be done. And if the salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing. God, help this church, help us to be mission driven. God, when a guest comes into this church, that everybody in this church sees themselves on mission. God, that when we come into contact with lost people, that every single one of us understand that we are to live missional. God, I got to do something for the kingdom of God. I don't want to be an unprofitable servant. God, I don't want to be an unprofitable servant. So God, I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to let us become a mission-driven church. 
Help us, oh God, to be missional in our mindset. That when I roll out of bed in the morning, I am on mission until I lay back down that night. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And so shall you be my disciples. Be disciples. Make disciples. Bless these people, God. Lord, I know that, Lord, they've had to endure some strong meat. But God, all I'm doing is bringing the truth of your word to the very forefront so we don't forget that not only is it a privilege to be saved, but it's a calling and responsibility. Freely we have received, we've got to freely give. And so God, I pray that you help us to mold our minds around the mission that you've called this church to do. Be disciples, make disciples. It is the great commission it's the word of reconciliation that you gave us. Now we are ambassadors for you. God, I pray your hand upon these men and women. I pray, God, you bless their homes, bless their marriages, bless their mind, body, and spirit, bless their finances. God, bless their health. Give them grace to do your work so we can be a light in a city set on a hill. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.